The world of film is exciting, scary, thrilling. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Glamorous. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Full of money. Show me the money. <laughs> and everyone wants a slice of it. But it's tough to crack and gruelling to work in. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, what it takes to break into the film industry. I've always been a little bit cheeky. I've been known to knock on trailer doors on set. They've gone, you know, hi, I'm, I'm just hustling. <laughs> and survive. I always refer to us and anyone else who's over 40 in the film industry as an absolute cockroach who can survive a nuclear blast. I hear from the catering couple who often find themselves serving up food to hundreds in a well-lit forest in the wee hours of the morning. But right now, I'm in a warehouse tucked away in suburban Auckland with Hugh Clavely. What we have here is a, a, the go-to camera, the um, Ari Alexa Mini LF. And this is probably one of the more popular cameras used for creating movie magic. He's telling me about how his company Moxian is part of the movie-making magic and how a technique they developed has proved invaluable under COVID rules. What I'm showing you is I've kind of mocked up uh, a film set here and normally it would be far grander than this and there'd be lots of people milling around or not. So what we have is we have a digital camera yeah. and then from the digital camera we have this, this cable, a BNC cable, which goes to a video assist mm -hmm. and the role of the video assist is to show what the camera is seeing on monitors and also to record it and play it back so that you don't need to have it played back from the camera so the camera can be setting up elsewhere and people can reviewing the shot so um, the video assist will be sitting here this picture will be put on this monitor here and then it will go out to other monitors so that people from around the set can come and just check their work um, with, without crowding around. And obviously that's a big problem in times of COVID, but you don't want anyone crowding around anything. No. <laughs> okay, so if we go around here, we'll go around yeah. the front of the camera. It's all right, you can, no one's watching it. <laughs> and here, there is a card. And if I hit record, just like on your phone or on your you know, smaller camera, it records mm -hmm. the footage there. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that the footage is really, really large these days. You know, they're talking 4K, some cameras even do 6K, 8K. And in order to transfer that from the card and to put it into a form that people can see, takes a long time, which is why rushes, the other name for rushes is dailies, because yeah. it takes a day for you to see them. And that whole kind of delay was the genesis of my company, Moxian because we were going, my co-founder who's an editor, he was going, well, you've got the footage I need on the video assist on set, but I can't access it until the dailies turn up a day later. So what we did is we connected the video assist to our application in the cloud. And then you can see the dailies very quickly. And tongue-in-cheek term, but it actually works quite well. We call them immediates. But why? Yeah, sure. What's well, wrong with the dailies? Because... If you have to wait a day to see something, firstly, you can't feed back when you're in situ, when you're on, on location. If you, if you see something needs correcting, then it's too late a day later. You know, people have been put on planes, sets have been struck. Um, also, you don't have to physically travel to the set to be there. You might be able to be 
uh, offset and be able to multitask um, across a lot of different um, productions or projects. The innovation means that filmmakers anywhere in the world can share, watch and review the footage within seconds of it being sent to the cloud. And that's the beauty of it in the COVID era of social distancing. Plus, it stops money being wasted on filming that ends up on the cutting room floor. So TV shows, commercials and movie sets around the world are now picking it up. We did another one uh, recently uh, called Unhinged, which was a, a Russell Crowe shoot, and they more than halved their shoot days for the car chase sequences because what would normally happen is they would do the car chase sequence and then they'd all get out of the cars and walk over to the, the video, video village, which is this area here, mm-hmm. and sit around and review the footage and make notes for the next, for the next take. But what they could do is, as they were... Uh, resetting, going back to their first positions, they could review what they'd just done on their iPads and iPhones, take the notes there, and go again. Go! Right now, is it making a huge difference? Have yes. you taken off? Yeah, well, it, what it does is it, it prevents people from having to get out of their pods and go and mingle with other people. Because normally they'd walk over to the monitors to, to see something. Um, and they don't need to do that so much anymore. Mm. They can sit back in the safety of their, their trailer or, or, or wherever and, um, and review it. I'm just wondering how easy it is to kind of turn up in LA, set yourselves up, <laughs> and then go knocking on doors <laughs> and try and persuade people to change the way they do things. Yeah, do yeah. I've always thing. been a little bit cheeky. Um, you know, I've, I've been known to knock on knock on trailer doors on set and go, yeah, definitely, and have gone, you know, hi, I'm, I'm just hustling, <laughs> but... <laughs> and what kind of reaction do you get? Mostly, mostly I get a good, rea- good, good reaction, yeah. You do? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I spend a long time working on set, so, you know, I know a lot of the, the, the people in the industry. Okay, you've got the context yeah. of the they, they could point me towards the right caravan. Is that so right? So it wasn't quite like, yeah, how did you get past security? Hugh developed Immediates at a time when people in production and post-production were struggling with massive, rapid change from film to digitisation. He didn't have his eye on Hollywood, well, not at first, but then Vlado and his company Q-Take came on the scene. They were the dominant company, and they still are, and they were the ones that if you were going to integrate with, it made absolute sense uh, to integrate with. And so... You know, I, I just cold called him, cold called him, and said, "Hey, you don't know me, but da 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 da." And I sort of gave him a bit of a pitch, and um, I, I'll do a terrible version of his accent. But he said, mm, "Maybe you should come and see me, huh?" <laughs> and he said, "I will be in Vegas for a conference called NAB, which is really big." And what does I'll, that stand for? Uh, National Association of Broadcasters. Uh-huh. And they have these five huge pavilions where I think, you know, over 100,000 people go through them over um, four days. Nothing had prepared me for jumping on a plane, going to Vegas for my first time and meeting Vlado from Slovakia. Where did you meet Vlado? At NAB. So NAB is a big trade show. Yeah. It's um, a New Zealand, US sort of business organisation that we were able to use one of their office spaces, which was a, which was a godsend because you, you couldn't actually have a decent conversation. So we'd... 
we'd walk 15 minutes each day from his stand <laughs> to this little uh, sort of booth and we'd sit down there, which we'd booked and, and we'd chat and uh, we'd, I'd stayed up the whole night sort of revising the heads of agreement. Yeah, finally we signed it and Vlado said something like, now we drink. And so <laughs> we went to a place called, I remember the name, it was called Frankie's Tiki Bar. We drank a lot of vodka, I think. And, and QTake were a very respected and well-established company. And so, you know, absolute hat off to Vlado for, you know, even talking to me in the first place, uh, let, let alone entertaining the you know, idea of this wide-eyed Kiwi who had just shown up. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think says a lot for his character. So the deal was signed on the technology. Now they needed to get to the movie makers. What's that? There's a monster outside. And it was the Meg's executive producer who gave them their big break. Barry Osborne, who is um, an absolute legend of the, the film industry and a, and a true gentleman uh, you know, g- gave us his ear and we kind of rocked up there and showed him what we could do and uh, Did he, you knock on his caravan I door? I didn't knock on his caravan door, no, no <laughs> it was a more formal introduction and I, I think he saw the potential and he really championed us The things out there you need to find it and kill it COVID's going to change the way we make films. And I think the biggest thing is that the cloud, uh, which traditionally has just been used as a place to put things, so people will take the footage from the camera, upload it there, and then download it to do stuff with, it will become the place where they create the whole movie. So all the processing, the editing, all that stuff will happen in the cloud. It won't need be moved around as much at all. People will accept the cloud as a place to do business rather than a transfer or storage place. Well, I'm in another warehouse now, this time off Auckland's northwestern motorway. I'm with Joe Warren and Mark Rehana of Duff Duff Catering. And they've just come out of six months COVID shutdown to feed hundreds of people a day. So we're basically in a, in a warehouse. Yeah, and it smells really good. And actually, if we were really, um, really busy right now, there'd be nothing in here. <laughs> So it would all be out, but right. we're preparing for a really busy period. So, oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> so vans are being packed and um, there's prep happening in the trucks. Some of the trucks are out and we're working one job and we've got two more that lift off next week. So we go from being in lockdown with, you know, ten employees to being um, in completely at max capacity with about 30 or so. So... I can see two big trucks and they look like kind of mobile kitchens. That is correct. So they're all built by Mark, basically. He's an unusual person in that he's immensely talented at cooking but also loves building things. So a little bit about how we began. I always worked in film on set. And Mark as was a, a chef. No, as an assistant director. And Mark was a caterer on Xena, that's where we met, 
I would describe myself as the oil and the machine. I do all of the money, I do all the deals, but I also interface with all of the productions. And they've all worked with me on set and off set, so they know that I know what they want. And um, he just gets the food happening, and away we go. And in that time, has business kind of been about the same? As you, have you built it up? So we started off with a van and some plates and an oven in our house and a fridge in our garage. And um, it was really hard to get money. The bank was just not interested in lending for vehicles like this. They just see it as a huge risk. So um, we got our first job just with the van and the plates and the oven at home. And we rented someone else's truck. And we just, with you know, we had two staff. And we just um, worked really hard to make it work. And then sort of other jobs led on and led on. And the way that I got around the fact that no one would lend me any money was I borrowed our tax from the IRD. We did one big job and we I collected up all the tax for that and instead of giving it to the IRD, I kept it, used that to build our first truck and then the next year we got another good job and I was able to pay off, pay the tax back and so I didn't have any debt. Kind, of, kind of risky. The, it the, was. Would the IRD like to hear you saying that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think we asked for permission. Like we asked. Oh, them. did you? Yeah. Oh, and you we paid all the penalties. If we had to pay penalties, we paid them. But yeah. it really was the only way to build something like that. And how many years ago was that? That would have been in 2007. Okay. And how many trucks have you got now? Five trucks. We've got 19 vehicles altogether. Wow. So we've got trailers and we've got vans and utes and um, big trucks, little trucks, chiller trucks, everything, (laughs) and everything in between. And so, yeah, we kind of shrink and expand according to what the demand is. So what happened when COVID hit? Well... I mean, were things going well up until then? we We were doing three jobs at once, so we were... We were at max capacity, and we went in one week. Two jobs fell away the first week, and then the third job fell away the second week. So we went from everything to absolutely nothing. When was it? When that was March. That was in March. Yeah, it was a pretty stressful time. I do remember crying. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like the government's done their, like you know, the whole with the subsidy and stuff has been very fair, but. The, our main goal was to make sure that we could look after the key people, make sure that we could keep our people that have been with us for a long time, like some people have been with us for 12 years. And you can't just push those people to the side for the sake of money and or instability. You have to actually become more of a rock than uh, like a hindrance to them. You actually have to do your part for them as an employer. Our staff are more than just staff. They've got us through some real sticky situations. They wake up at 3 o'clock to get to a location in the middle of a muddy, forestry, cold, drizzly, beautiful, well-lit film set and then work their butts off, basically, from start to finish. And they do that for five or six months at a time. And to, to, to have a pandemic like this affect... You know, globally, you can't just walk away from your people. So, so you, with the help of um, the wage subsidy scheme, you were able to look after your people. Yeah, but you know, you certainly, you know, you, your rent never stops, your insurances never stop. We just finished re-COFing and registering all our trucks, which is like twelve thousand dollars, and we had to redo that just recently. 
So zero income, $24,000 in vehicle costs, insurance costs, um, you know, 80% of someone's salary is still 80% of a good wage. So we were prepared to take the knocks, but um, I think, you, you know, in this industry, you've got to be pretty durable. You can't just let it break you. So I think we're not original in this. You know, all the other people who do this industry are very get a lot of fortitude, and that's kind of what keeps it really strong. Yeah. You know. So how long were you, did you have nothing, no work? Oh, six months. We had three weeks on the job that's just finished. It's all credit to our, the production team that were doing it. Are we allowed to name the production? Probably not. But they did a really good job of just getting it through and done. But look, it probably cost them twice as much as well just to get there. Because of they're having stop, social distance and all that. Stop, like start, that. nature. You know, you have to stop people working, and then you've got all this equipment just sitting there. You've got sets that have just been built. Everything on such a finite timeline in the film industry is there's no time for this. We we need to get it done in the can and move on to another project. And that's what I think makes New Zealand quite original, unique. Like we've gone and created a whole new structure that I don't think a lot of people have. Well, I just woke up one morning and went, "Look, we need to keep people away from our food. How are we going to do that?" So we designed screens. We had covers made for them. Uh, that that information had to get sent overseas and get approval by the powers that be over there or wherever. You mean the film making parent parent, parent, parent company. And, and so that whole process had to go on and no one knew what the heck was happening. But we just said, look, this is a solution we think will work. And, and we start shooting three shows within two weeks of each other. We've got 32 new staff we picked up in the last two weeks. And they're all new to it. Wow, so, they're going to get a shock. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to get a wake up. But they're all, it's, it's like how we first started, like when we started 15 years ago. This is kind of like that. Is Except it? with more gear. Did you expect things to take this long to bounce back? I kind of think it's bounced back as as you'd expect. You know, I don't think we really had a forecast for it, but we didn't want to go another uh, lockdown into level three. That would pretty much kill a lot of people. We we potentially may not even been able to manage it, keep our staff. We would have lost everybody for sure. It was that close. So you must be really fearful of it happening again. Mm. Yeah, for you sure. Awake at night, sometimes you, you know, mm. just knowing you just, you know, and also you commit to people, you give them a contract, and then you have to say, I don't know how long this is going to last for. So you end up just contracting people on period by period or job by job, and not. Um, just saying, yep, come and join us, we'll, we'll make the work happen because we just don't know. And the, all of the productions, they have their, their parent company is over in the US or the UK and their reference point is really quite different to what it is on the ground here. So um, the what protocols... Do you mean by that? Well, just that they're in an intense COVID environment over there. So any insurance company, so all the insurance companies are over there too, insuring a job over here requires us to go miles above and beyond what's happening out on the street in New Zealand where you just walk into a restaurant. 
everyone's normal, the insurance companies are so you know nervous about jobs stopping and them having to ensure that stoppage that our protocols that we have to put in place are really it's really full on. Mm. Everyone's masked, everyone's gloved. There's, there's monitors on all the sets that make sure that the distancing happens. Like it's really really full on. The productions want to shoot, and so they're prepared to do whatever it takes to appease the government and and the Ministry of Health to make it worthy and and to make sure that if if there is an outbreak, it's not coming from the film industry. We're walking upstairs now to one of the trucks. They're under the pump to get get things done by two one thirty, uh, so we've got two hours, and then this truck's leaving. To to feed how many? Oh, it'll be four hundred. 400, so we move it, we get it onto to location, everything gets ticked off. Then we have a debrief with the, the COVID organisation at the studio, and everyone gets their passes, and they get temperature checked, and then we go start prepping for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday they start shooting. It's not, it's not a cookie-cutter kind of job, man. It's, you have to be a certain kind of person. They're like culinary... UFC champions. Or so, yeah, 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 it's very UFC much. UFC champions, I love it. You know, it's obviously important to find the right people, but right now there'd be no shortage of good people, surely, to do this kind of work, or still oh, difficult? That's interesting because not a lot of people know about the film industry still, so they look at it like, well, how can you be working at the back of a truck? And, and so you don't get a lot of people from the normal hospitality sector. You get people who hear snippets about what we do, and when they come, they go, oh, I totally get this now. It's like to make a break, you know? But, like, yeah, it's really it's quite a challenge, you know? Yeah. Turning out high-quality food within a really tight tie line. Do you feel confident now that, you know, after this terrible six-month period that you can kind of get through anything? Yeah, I think so. What do you think, Joe? Um, yes. Yes, I think we just need a really good stretch now to get some points on the board, and then we would probably be able to cope with another lockdown if it happened. Um, we've been through a lot already. I always refer to us and anyone else who's over 40 in the film industry as an absolute cockroach who can survive a nuclear blast and still be <laughs> and still be able to go, oh, yep, I can do that job, sweet, I'm in, you know, and that's kind of how it is. There's people who fall away because the whole film industry I would describe as this, um, it's where my heart is. It's my absolute love of... Um, You've, it's full of interesting people. You've got builders, you've got complete artistic weirdos, you've got every job for every single person in there. And to be serving it from where we are, where I'm sort of half in and half out, is, is wonderful. But yeah, there's heaps of, co- heaps of us cockroaches around. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Joe Warren and Mark Rehana from Duff Duff. And congratulations to Hugh Clavely, whose company Moxian has just won a big Hollywood Professional Association Award for immediate. Kakite Ano.